Welcome to LifePoint Church. Our mission is to glorify God and make gospel-driven disciples by engaging people in the unexpected joy of a life more and more dependent on Jesus. Ephesians 5, 22-33 Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. This morning, we are in the middle of a series, a very important series, about God-centered sexuality. And you can see on the screen <clears throat> the schedule for this, <clears throat> excuse me, this important series of messages. Last week and this week, we are focusing on sexuality in marriage. Next week, we'll be talking about sexuality and singleness. But today, our topic is the great purpose of marriage. Now, I have to confess something. I don't ever remember in all of my years hearing a message on this subject. Maybe it was there, and I missed it, but somehow, what I have to say is something new to me and very important. So it is a subject that is often not addressed in the church, and I think that is very unfortunate. So I believe that this message today is vitally important for all of us to hear, whether we are single or divorced, or widowed, or married. Now, one resource that has been very helpful for me in preparing this message is a book by Timothy Keller, The Meaning of Marriage, Facing the Complexities of Commitment with the Wisdom of God. And I would recommend this book for anyone who wishes to really dig into more of this subject the meaning of marriage. Now, last week, Pastor Craig explained what God's design is for marriage when he created the first couple in the Garden of Eden. Genesis 2.24 is the theme verse for this. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. 
Pastor Craig shared with us the carefully worded definition of marriage which the elders and the pastors have provided for us. And you can see it there on the screen. It comes out of this verse in Genesis. Marriage is a lifelong, one flesh covenant union between a male and a female, two sexually different persons from different families, united with the purpose of telling God's story of creativity and covenant faithfulness, and sexual relationships outside this covenant union are sin. I'll leave that on the board because that is so important. Basically, marriage is a covenant union between a man and a woman. Now, there are many kinds of relationships between human beings on earth, but none of them are so basic, so commonly practiced among all peoples, and so crucial to human society as this union between a man and a woman. And according to Scripture and our definition, this is marriage. Nothing more, but nothing less. And other, any other union between human beings cannot be defined as marriage. And the man and the woman are to hold fast to each other in a covenant, binding themselves in commitment to each other that transcends all other human relationships. Now, the text we have before us this morning, which Bethany read, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 33, Paul builds on this definition of marriage from Genesis to describe the purpose of this relationship between a husband and a wife. So in verses 22 through 30, <clears throat> Paul says that men should sacrificially love their wives in such a way that they become spiritually whole in Christ. And wives are to fit into their husband's efforts by lovingly supporting him in this partnership of love. Now, I'm summarizing those verses, and we'll come back to them a little bit later. But what I want to emphasize here is that the roles of a husband and a wife in marriage relationship are based on God's definition of marriage in given in Genesis chapter 2. Paul quotes this verse from Genesis in this section, Ephesians verse 31. He describes the roles of husbands and wives, and then he concludes, therefore, 
Verse 31, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. He gives this quote as the foundational argument of why husbands and wives should love each other sacrificially, as described in the verses he's just given. This means that the roles in marriage were established by God when he created that first couple in the Garden of Eden. And since these roles were established by God and given to us in his word, we are not free to change them or alter them to fit into some current social trend. Then Paul says something very amazing. He says, this description of marriage in Genesis is actually a reference to how Christ relates to the church. Verse 32, he says, this mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. First of all, he says this is a mystery. Now, in the New Testament, the word mystery is, refers to something that has been hidden and unknown before, but now it is being revealed and made known. For example, in chapter 3 of this book, it describes another mystery of the gospel. Paul says that the mystery that was hidden before in the Old Testament, but is now revealed in the gospel, is that Gentiles will now be included in the people of God. The, he says in chapter 3, the mystery is that Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. That mystery is now revealed to us through the preaching of Paul. Now he's giving us another mystery. And in this, Paul reveals this one about marriage. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. The covenant relationship of marriage is patterned after the covenant relationship between Christ and his bride, the church. That is what he's revealing to us. That's the mystery. When he says it refers back to this quote from Genesis 2.24. And Paul says that this definition of marriage in Genesis 2.24 refers to Christ and the church. Now, wait a minute. How can that be? When Moses wrote about how God created the first marriage, Christ has not even been born. He has not even yet come into the world as our Savior. And the church has not even been thought of. It has not been established as the people of God. So how can this definition of marriage given in Genesis refer 
to Christ and the church as his bride. It means that God, in his sovereign ability to see all things and to see the end from the beginning, knew that he was creating marriage as a reflection of how Christ, his son, would relate to the church. This was his plan from the very beginning. And this means that marriage is a reflection of the relationship between Christ, the bridegroom, and the church, his bride. Marriage is modeled after Christ's relationship to the church. Tim Keller puts it this way, marriage is a drama or a parable of this relationship between Christ and his church. So if you want to understand God's meaning for marriage, you have to grasp that we are dealing here with a copy and an original, a metaphor and a reality, a parable and a truth. And the original, the reality, the truth is God's marriage to his people or Christ's marriage to the church. And while the copy, the metaphor, the parable, therefore is a husband's marriage to his wife. That's how one theologian puts it this way. As God made man in his own image, so he made earthly marriage in the image of his own eternal marriage with this people. I don't think I had ever grasped all of that before. That the marriage I thought was something that I would work on here, and I never realized that it was a copy, an image, a parable of how Christ relates to his church. Now, I think that revelation, that mystery that is now revealed, has some very important implications. First of all, it means that marriage is a parable of our future union with Christ, his bride, and therefore it means that marriage is not an end in itself. Marriage is meant to prepare us for the ultimate goal of our union with Christ, the bride of Christ, united with our bridegroom. This means that the purpose of marriage is to helping each other to become our glorious selves as the bride of Christ united with him. Christ's relationship to his bride, the church, gives the pattern of how a husband should relate 
to his wife. And that's exactly what Paul is saying in these verses. Notice in verses 25 through 30, Husbands, love your wives. How? As Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Do you see the analogy? Husbands love wives as Christ loves the church. And for what purpose does Christ love the church? For what reason should husbands love their wives? So that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. This is what Christ has done for the church. So that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. And so that is the primary responsibility of husbands towards their wives. To take the initiative in helping her and himself together to become more and more like Christ. To prepare themselves to be part of the bride of Christ without spot or wrinkle or blemish. Now, paradoxically, I think that means that Paul is urging spouses to help their mates love Jesus more than themselves. It's a paradox, but it's not a contradiction. The simple fact is that only if I love Jesus more than my wife will I be able to serve her needs ahead of my own. Only if my emotional tank is filled with love from God will I be able to be patient and faithful and tender and open with my wife when things are not going well in life or in our relationship. And the more joy I get from my relationship for Christ, the more I can share that joy with my wife and family. I find that just liberating. I now have a purpose in my marriage. It's not just to fulfill my wife's needs, but it's to prepare us to be united with Christ. The second implication is that marriage does not and cannot give us ultimate fulfillment. Our consumer culture says just the opposite. It makes romantic love and sex the ultimate satisfaction in life. Our culture assumes that marriage and romantic love are the means for personal fulfillment and that they are necessary to make us whole and happy. Many believe that if they can just find the right person, they will find the love of their lives their soulmates, the missing piece of their puzzle of life, the one that completes them. 
We often hope and pray that this person is going to fulfill our needs for love and sex and partnership and companionship and friendship. He or she is the one that will know me inside and out, but will still love me with unconditional love. And we hope that this person will share our deepest emotions in an open and honest way without judgment and support us in equal ways for the rest of our lives. We look <clears throat> to romantic love and marriage to provide the deepest soul fulfillment in our lives. There's just one problem with that. We all live in brokenness and sin. We are basically self-centered at the core of our beings. As Timothy Keller says, we live our lives curved in on ourselves. Because of our sin, we can never be the perfect fulfillment for our partner, and we should not expect that they can bring us soul fulfillment either. Because of sin that distorts our lives, <clears throat> we don't have to wonder why our spouses don't always measure up. We don't have to wonder why they don't always tolerate our bad behavior or why they don't always support us when we are feeling insecure and we're struggling, why they sometimes give up and feel like leaving. We are all broken sinners, and we will fail and let down the very ones that we love the most. We cannot expect marriage to do for us what only God can do. We look to our spouse to give us our soul fulfillment when only God can do that. It is an illusion that if we find our one true soulmate, everything wrong with us will be healed. Because God never intended for marriage to replace his relationship with us. The reason many marriages are struggling is because we are looking for fulfillment in the wrong place. We're asking our spouse to be God in our life. Every person, <clears throat> male and female, single and married, should find their worth and their fulfillment in an intimate relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And your mate is never going to be able to fill the God-sized puzzle piece in your heart. Your mate is a sinner just like you. They have their own hurts and wounds, and they are dealing with them as well. It's the problem is we sometimes expect too much of them. Timothy Keller gives an example of this. He says, typical is the case of Jeff and Sue. 
Jeff was tall and handsome, the kind of mate Sue had always pictured in her mind. He was talkative and she was shy and quiet in public. So she loved how he took the lead in social gatherings and directed the conversation. Sue was also decisive and future-oriented, while Jeff tended to live in the present. <laughs> Their differences seemed to complement each other perfectly. Secretly, Sue was shocked. Someone like this good-looking guy would fall in love with her. While Jeff, who many women found to be too unambitious, was glad to find a girl who was so adoring. But just a year after getting married, Jeff's talkativeness looked to Sue like self-centeredness and an inability to listen. His lack of career orientation was a bitter disappointment to her. Meanwhile, Sue's quietness looked to Jeff like a lack of transparency, and her soft-spoken shyness masked what he now saw to be a domineering personality. And the marriage quickly spiraled down and ended in a speedy divorce. You see, when the Bible speaks of love, it measures it primarily not by how much you want to receive, but how much you are willing to give of yourself to someone else. How much are you willing to lose for the sake of this person? How much of your freedom are you willing to forsake? How much of your precious time and emotion and resources are you willing to invest in the other person? Finally, marriage is a reflection of Christ's relationship with the church. And the third implication is this, marriage is a partnership to help each other on the journey toward holiness and union with Christ. God created marriage as a partnership. In response to being alone, God created what the text calls an ezor in Hebrew, and it's a word that means a, a helper companion, a friend, a partner. And when the man sees the woman, he responds, at last, he says, this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. Someone has proposed that he's saying something like this, meeting you fills a void in my life. And so we see that in the beginning, God gave the man as a companion, and he gave a partner, helper, to be his spouse. Now this partnership is like having two people side by side, looking in the same direction, going towards the same goal, working together to reach that goal. Let me summarize the logic of what he's saying. 
God modeled marriage on the covenant relationship between Christ and the church. Therefore, marriage has always been a drama, a parable, a metaphor of this covenant relationship of love between Christ and the church. Therefore, the roles of husband and wife derive from the roles God designed for Christ and the church. So that's why he says, let every husband seek to love and lead and nourish and protect his wife like Christ does the church. Let every wife seek to love her husband and honor him in his Christ-exalting mission as God meant it for the church. In practical terms, what does this mean? It means that Jesus' character needs to be produced in us, specifically the fruit of the Spirit. We're working so that the love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and integrity and gentleness and humility and self-control can be grown and developed in the life of our partner. So when Jesus' love and wisdom and greatness are formed in us, each of us with our own unique gifts and callings, we become our true selves the persons we were created to be, prepared to unite with Christ, our bridegroom. Last week, Craig told us that one of the purposes of sexuality in marriage is joy, along with procreation and companionship. But let me ask you, if it's really about becoming holy, then where is the joy? Does this mean that marriage is not about being happy? Becoming holy as he is holy produces in us what? The fruit of the Spirit, which is love and joy and peace. And doing it together as partners on this journey towards our union with Christ, gives us the deepest kind of joy. It is eagerly helping one another to know and serve and love and resemble God in a deeper and deeper way. So you see romance and sex and laughter and just plain fun are the byproducts of this process of sanctification and refinement and glorification. Those things are important, but they are not the things that are going to keep this marriage going through years and years of ordinary life. What keeps the marriage going is your commitment to your spouse's holiness. You're committed to his or her beauty, 
You're committed to his greatness and perfection. You're committed to her honesty and passion for the things of God. That's your job as a spouse. Any lesser goal than that, any smaller purpose, and you're just playing at marriage. So let me repeat. What is marriage for? What purpose does it serve? Marriage is a parable of our future union with Christ as his bride. It is not an end in itself. Marriage does not give us ultimate soul fulfillment. God never intended for marriage to replace his relationship with us. Marriage is a partnership to help each other on the journey towards holiness and union with Christ. What am I to do with this information? What does it mean for me? I think the application that I want to drive home for me and for all of us is this. Whether through marriage or through singleness, God's desire for us is that we should become holy and blameless so that we can be united with him in an intimate, personal relationship. That's what he wants. He wants us to enjoy him in this intimate kind of relationship of commitment, covenant, commitment, and love. Ephesians chapter 1, Paul puts it this way, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we, what, should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved, the bridegroom, the one who wants to be united with us. I have a friend who has never been married, and now he's about 65 years old. In a recent conversation, he told me that really he does regret at times that he has never been married. But he told me how finally this last summer, he had what he called an epiphany. He had lived an active, as an active member of the church. He was involved in Bible studies and short-term mission trips. 
But he had many areas in his life that he had never really surrendered to the control of God. He pursued his own career. He retired successfully. He has traveled to more than 40 different countries. He has visited all of the national parks in the lower 48 states. But in his heart, he knew that much of his life he had lived for himself. It was Romans chapter 12, verse 1 that grabbed his heart. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. He says, he described how in tears and humility, he finally surrendered everything to God last summer. He put everything on the altar. And he says, since then, my life has changed. I enjoy spending hours reading and meditating on God's Word. And I'm spending more and more time in prayer, interceding for others and for the church around the world. He said, I now find a sense of fulfillment and deep satisfaction that I had never known before. He found his soul's fulfillment in Christ, not in marriage or in any other relationship, but in Jesus Christ. And so I invite you today to find your fulfillment in Christ and Christ alone. Surrender your whole heart and soul and mind and body to him. Put it on the altar. Some of you are single and never married. Some of you are divorced. Some are widowed. Some are married. Some are unhappy. Some are reasonably happy. But this morning you realize that the deep longing of your heart can never be fulfilled in marriage or in any other human relationship. You were made for a deep, soul-satisfying union with Jesus Christ. Maybe you've been searching for this kind of fulfillment in all the wrong places, but this morning, you know what you have to do. You need to turn your heart to him in total surrender and let him take control of your life. Seek him with your whole heart. Desire him above everything else, even marriage. This is what you were created for. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, 
Forgive us for looking for fulfillment in the wrong places. Forgive us for distorting what marriage was all about. Help us, Father, as husbands and wives, to realize that we are partners together, preparing ourselves for that wonderful union when we will sit down at the marriage feast of the Lamb, our bridegroom, and we will be united with him forever and ever. That is complete fulfillment. Oh, Father, capture our hearts this morning in a way that you've never done before, so that when you come, we can welcome you and you can welcome us as your bride. We pray this in the precious name of Jesus, who gave himself up for us, who died that we might be his. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. That concludes LifePoint Church's podcast. For more information about our church, visit sharethelife.org.